whatever for? <laughs> she's like, I don't know. I think it'd be a nice kitchen. And she's like, well, we'll see if we can find it. <laughs> and I wonder, she's like, I just think it's so adorable you want to see the kitchen. Yeah. Oh, how quaint. And yeah. just gives her a fur coat. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is that, what is that? Is that your coat? Oh, no, no, that won't do. He just gives her a fur coat. <laughs> oh, that sounds really good. Yeah. It was really, really funny. Very intense, though. Intense show. Mm-hmm. I actually was impressed with, like, how, like, Jewish that show was, too. Like, yeah. It's just, very rooted it's, like, in Jewish scenes, culture. like, in the synagogue while they're trying to do service and, like, yeah. she's arguing with her mother. And like, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, have, I like that they just really made it of its time and its culture and everything. Like, yeah, it worked really well. Yeah. You, you had me at class consciousness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. Well, let's wait no further. No, no, I think we should wait a little longer. ourselves into episode two talking about castle waiting which jeffrey says the word wait like 800 times life goals uh, all right set the bar low um welcome back we did one episode we talked about castle waiting volume one we're here to talk about castle waiting number two volume two <laughs> Yeah, hopefully you read the first volume and listened to the first episode and are ready to go. I'm Kate Ross, and I've got a character revealing question oh. from my fellow trade waiters, which they will have to answer in order to participate in this episode. <laughs> Is that how this works? So if it's... I don't answer, I can't just, you get banned. Just oh. remember, it's a character building question. Yeah. Oh, well, this is why it's a character building I'm question. Gonna challenge you all. <laughs> um, all right, so what area or era of history interests you most, if any at all? Hmm. I can only pick one. <laughs> okay, uh, I can pick one. So I'm Jeff Ellis, and I would say the era of history that interests me most is World War II. I know that's probably like a super cliche answer, but the more I learn about World War II, especially recently I've been learning a lot lot more about uh, Russia in World War II, it's a really, really fascinating time, and so much of what happened in that period like has ripples that are still affecting like where we're at with things today. Like, America positioned itself as a world power from that conflict. Britain declined as an empire from that conflict. Like, Japan is what it is today because of that conflict. And I just, I find like that's a really fascinating period because it all seems to link back to that time period for me. I would say the same, but with medieval Europe. <laughs> and who are you? Tell oh, us who you are. My name's Jess. Uh, yeah, definitely medieval Europe. Uh, I feel like everybody's favorite time in history, they always say, that's the most important time. I think my grandpa <laughs> said, nothing before the 1800s matters. <laughs> so he would, he would maybe disagree. But I'm, I, I love that time period, medieval history, because uh, I also feel like it really cascaded and affected a lot of things today, and is still weirdly relevant. Hmm. Um think I've settled on one since I can only pick one. Uh, I'm Jonathan. So begrudging. Yeah. And um, this is why my future not yet written magnum opus involves time travel, so I can do more than one time period. But if I have to pick one, uh, I think I've probably read more books on this subject than any other subject. Uh, and that's sort of the, the time period around Christopher Columbus. Not because I'm a fan of Christopher Columbus, because he is terrible. Um, the worst. Uh, pretty much the worst. <laughs> but because, like, if you're looking at for time periods and, like, small events that sort of, like, exploded into, like, vastly world-changing events, that time period, like, is kind of a pivot point in history. Like, everything before that kind of leads to this one random incident 
Uh, and then, like, everything after that stems from this one random incident. And the, the way that things sort of, like, domino from that is, like, interesting and terrifying. Fair. I'm Jam. If I had to pick an era of history to be the most interesting, I think I'm gravitating towards the 1920s because I think of it as a period of innovation. So if you think it was the era of prohibition in the United States, and I think that is a period of time that is maybe a misstep in terms of a lot of policy and culture, but it's also a real, really interesting social time in terms of like, Prohibition was something because there was a big women's movement behind it and they tried it, right? You know, they tried it. And then like there was all this organized crime that was born out of that. And then it's like they didn't have organized crime before that and they had to figure out how to deal with it. Uh, and there was the whole uh, suffragette movement. So like there was a lot of social upheaval and change during that time. But there was also innovation across a lot of other contexts that really fascinate me, like jazz, the birth of jazz and music was really fascinating to me and uh, is my one of my favorite types of music. And then if you go over to Europe, there's Art Deco, there's like, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in art. And there's also a lot of interesting innovation at that time happening in science with uh, Edison and Tesla and the birth of electricity and Louis Pasteur and Marie Curie. Maybe it's not like 100% accurate in the 1920s, but it, it all feels to me like it's around that time. And so just a lot of stuff that I care about had major innovations in the 1920s. Cool. Um, I'm Kay, and uh, I don't really have, like, a specific period in time that I, like, gravitate towards, but lately I've gotten really interested in the history of food and how culinary tastes and practices have changed and what remains. Like, I kind of got into jello recently um, you don't for say aesthetic reasons but then wound up doing way more research into like the history of that and like we have recipes from the 1600s of gelatin and like because like any any good soup that's made with like animal broth will congeal um but it's really interesting seeing like hundreds of years later we're still eating this in a completely different Context and I, I was watching some like 1800s cooking videos the other day. <laughs> that was also really interesting of like how our ingredients have changed and like the flavor profiles then and like what they are now in sort of like similar regions. So that's something I've been interested in lately. Yeah, have you ever come across the Townsend? Yeah, cooking oh, channel? that is totally yeah. what I was watching. That's yeah, a that's I... a fun <laughs> cooking channel. Uh, he'll not only dig up the original recipes, he'll try to use, like, original methods. Yes. And if he can't use the closest to the in uh, original ingredients that he can add, uh, he'll describe the ingredients. And he does it in, like, an 18th century dress as yes, well. Yes, that's what I'm <laughs> like, Cool. Um, yeah, every video where they're cooking indoors, there's, like, a disclaimer <laughs> at the beginning where they're like, we're cooking over charcoal fire. Now, at home, you want to use your stove. Use your <laughs> stove. Do not cook over charcoal indoors because uh, 18th century kitchens had a lot of ventilation. A lot of <laughs> ventilation. Well, also, major cities burned down many times during that time period. <laughs> Let's not uh, repeat that if we can avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we figured a few things out over the years. <laughs> I sometimes find it fascinating like when people are just like, oh, we should do it exactly like how they did it in the 1800s. Like, should we? Or like, uh, like raw water. <laughs> oh, like, no, my God. Yeah, yeah. Drink water that's been through a water filtration plant. We uh -huh. went through so much to have yeah, good, uh -huh. clean water. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah, the only reason we can have 7 billion people in the world is because of all the technology we've like invented to sort of like plug all the gaps and everything that was wrong with society before. What was the life expectancy when we used to drink raw water? Um, probably <laughs> not good. <laughs> I mean, there's also like such a privilege of us in Canada being like, oh, of course, you know, clean drinking water. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, let's talk about Castle Waiting, Volume 2. So, Volume 2, I was reminded as I was doing research before this episode, uh, was actually published twice. And Jonathan has a different edition than I have, so I actually haven't read some of this. Oh. Um, volume 2 was originally published in a slightly uh, truncated version to uh, what John has, and uh, then it was later republished with um, extra pages and an epilogue. 
So are the extra pages like mm. interspersed throughout, or are they th- at the end? I think they might be interspersed throughout. I'm not sure. I was mm. kind of like flipping through your edition before. I'd completely forgotten. Can I see the last page of your book, please, Jonathan? Yeah, I think the John's print edition is the digital one that we have. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because so, you get like a little bit more. Uh, my okay. I read the same amount as you. Okay. Which is the original one. That just, ends with the giant. Yeah, it ends like right at the end of the giant story. Hmm. Okay. Um, is where it ends. So that's a treat. I might actually have to borrow your book later because there's okay. cats awaiting I haven't read. Wow. Um, which is really exciting. <laughs> but it means I'm maybe a little bit less prepared for this episode than I thought I was. Okay. I hope it doesn't count as a spoiler if I talk about what happens in the episode. No, no. Go right ahead. So Castle Waiting Volume 2 picks up where Castle Waiting Volume 1 leaves off, and we get to learn more about the residents of the castle. Uh, For one, we get to learn about the Doctor. We do get a little bit more about Jane's past, Mm -hmm. um, and we learn more about Henry, because some of his family comes to visit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will say I enjoyed this volume more. Uh, It felt more focused. I I liked the Hammerlings as characters, and um, I enjoyed... I also enjoyed just the, like, I don't know if you'd even call it a twist, but I enjoy the fact that Jane wants to move into this other part of the castle, but there's a rickety staircase, and so they go to the Hammerlings and say, oh, we'd want you to help us build a staircase, and then the Hammerlings say, yeah, but this old castle has probably got secret passages... Uh, but there's one right here, and they like knock down a wall, and there's like a whole corridor that leads to where they're trying to go. And it's like we didn't have to build a staircase; we we're just going to open up the secret passage. <laughs> and so then this whole plot is them just clearing out the secret passage and setting up Jane's room. And yet, it's sort of like as that story's playing out, there's all these little tiny like payoffs, like little tiny like reoccurring things that keep going, like a lot of nice character moments. And one of my favorite things i don't know if you guys felt the same but one of my favorite things in this book was at one point early on they're doing laundry and they forget to dry out one of the socks and so they hang the sock by the fireplace and then every new person who's visiting is like oh is it christmas time oh i better put something in this sock and so by the end of the story the sock is like filled with riches because <laughs> every single tertiary character has added something like a diamond or, or something to this sock. Like, I don't know, I just, that, I was really <laughs> taken with. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, like, this this feels like, like, especially the the part with the, the secret passage, like, that felt like peak castle waiting. That's the best version of castle waiting, waiting so far, in my opinion. Like, it, all the sort of the things that uh, Linda Medley was trying to do in the first volume felt like this is their best version, where it's... It's all, like, the stakes aren't necessarily that much higher, but there's sort of, you don't know what to expect next. And they're just, like, hanging out in the castle. They're not going anywhere, but it's a journey within the castle. Uh, And there's a lot of character development, and it's all characters that we already know and care about. And, yeah, no, I I really enjoyed that part a lot. Yeah, I mean, maybe just, because I I had sort of complained in the last episode about how I didn't feel like this story, the the first volume didn't have enough stakes. I would say this volume maybe has less stakes, but it keeps moving, like it keeps you bouncing between different characters, and so I like character development, and so I felt like this was a great just character development book. So I didn't care as much that there weren't stakes because they weren't proposing to me that there was anything really on the line. They're like, we, we just need to get a staircase set up. That's all. And we're going to go bowling. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's it. Cool. Like, like I can get behind that. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I enjoyed that they were bowling too. I don't know. That, that, that was quite charming. Yeah. I don't know. Volume two was fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, basically on the, in the first episode, I said that it's, it's, uh, it's a great piece, but it just 100% did not click with me, and Volume 2 did not change my mind. Uh, it just the same, like, the things that I liked about it were still good. Like, the art was still fantastic. A lot of the characters were really interesting. I think there were some really good character moments, but it just continued to drift past me. And it <laughs> would not really engage me, so that's that's fine. I really liked the bit with the Doctor, though. Mm, uh, yeah. I felt like that 
kind of as you described, like we had some moments that I felt were really real emotion and like we got it in volume one with Jane and not knowing if she'd been pursued by her husband and I feel like the the meat of what was happening with the doctor felt really real as well Mm -hmm. so to summarize this plot point the doctor was someone who was sent out to deal with an island of people in the plague and in essence nothing he could do could save his patients because it was the plague and so he would turn around and his patient would be just dead on the table and this kept happening to him over and over and over again and he started to feel really powerless and that experience actually ended up driving him mad and so he now is continuously obsessed with like fixing people and curing people and it's not altogether there and so he's kind of a mental health refugee I guess (laughs) awaiting if anything yeah yeah that's a good way of putting it I, I really enjoyed, enjoyed, but like, I, I, I thought that I was impressed with in this volume how kind of in the first volume, the doctor was set up as like, oh, it's the, the wacky doctor with his plague mask. Like, what a character. He'll always make a poultice for you. And then in volume two, he's really starting to kind of come unglued. And actually, there's some moments where the character, the other characters in, in the house after they talk to him, they kind of are like, oh, geez, he's getting really bad. Like, he's really losing it. And it sort of felt to me like echoes of dealing with a grandparent with Alzheimer's, of just sort of like how he's just sort of coming undone and and they're not really sure if they can get him back. And they get into his backstory and it's really tragic. And, and, and I, yeah, that was like, it, it that, I was not expecting to like this, or what character that seemed like comic relief in the first one really like had this emotional pathos in the second volume. And yeah, I really appreciated that. And mm-hmm. and I also appreciated just the fact that the doctor is a very difficult person to deal with because he's kind of crazy. And that was that example that we, were, we were talking about in the, in the last episode about how it was like, like chosen family. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like the doctor isn't sort of necessarily someone a lot of people would seek out. And yet this household of people are like, no, he's ours. We're going to take care of him. Like, we're not going to kick him out, even though he's kind of losing it. We're going to just try to help him as best we can. And uh, I, I really like that. I like that it's like, you know, a, a lesser group of people might have just cast him out. And these people were like, no, like, he's still one of us. We're still going to, like, help him out despite the problems he's going through. And that, yeah, 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 that was really good. Because, like, if they don't take care of him, no one will. He's just, yeah. like, out on his own. Yeah. Probably going to die. Yeah. Like, that felt super relatable as someone who is... Uh, in charge of kids who sometimes have issues. Not obviously, I was on an island with plague vic- victims issues, but <laughs> but you can't just like kick a kid out of your class. Like they're part of your they're part of your community. You have to you have to find a way to make it work. Yeah, and I like how they they approach the problem very systematically. They're like, let's try to get the doctor more involved in what's going on mm-hmm. here. And so if he feels more tied to this place and more tied to this community, it might give him a sense of structure to to latch on to so yeah i think that was probably that was one of the aspects i really liked in this this section of the book uh i also really like simon learning to read mm-hmm. yeah i like yeah. simon a lot as a character yeah. i feel like he's he's written very sympathetically in a way that i, I he's like he's not a real person but i want to say i get along with him mm-hmm. like i really like the way he's written and uh i think he's a really positive character in this book yeah i think he's supposed to like embody sort of like the simple Simon uh oh okay like, yeah, 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 you know uh. or whatever and I think that like s- that could have gone in so many bad directions <laughs> but I think like I really like Simon a lot too I, he's very warm and engaging and like you just like get invested in what he's doing mm-hmm. um and he yeah. has like his own way of like sorting through things and like dealing with them yeah and he has um, his own strengths and talents yeah. I think which is also really important Something, uh, something. I, I don't know if it was referenced in the first volume at all. If it did, it went right past me. But I enjoyed in the second volume where Simon's mother talks about Simon's father, and they basically established that Simon's father was the giant that Jack killed. Except that then she talks about like, oh, this vicious man killed my husband, the giant. He was so gentle, and then he went around bragging and calling himself the giant killer. And yeah. it's like, I just enjoy that they, you never see it, but they really paint a negative picture of Jack. Like the Jack and the Beanstalk Jack is like this horrible, horrible monster who killed Simon's father. And I was like, wow, that's a fun like twist on 
on that nursery rhyme or that sorry that that, that fable you know like, uh, well yeah there's also that um jack the giant yeah exactly yeah. yeah oh i was just gonna say um i feel like that kind of ties into this ongoing theme in book one and book two where you have these this fantasy story let's say sleeping beauty and we're kind of following her as the main character um like in the first book but then once she leaves, because so, Sleeping Beauty packs up and she goes off with this this guy and her whole court of like hundreds of people are left with no leadership and no ruler. Yeah. It's like, what happens to people after the fairy tale's over? Or what happens to the side characters who like inevitably existed? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you kill this giant, um, but what about his kid or wife or like the other people in the giant's life? Yeah. And sort of the story after the fairy tale, which I really like. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No. yeah. And I like that the, the twists don't overwrite the the fables um like i think uh, i said last episode about how there's a lot of stories that seem to say seem to do this thing where you're like let's do fairy tales but with a twist and often the twist is everybody's terrible haha you never suspected that but I, i like that this only takes like the terribleness that pre-exists in the fairy tale so jack is a murderer because he like in the story he murdered people there's not some like secret murderous history that we are now being told but wasn't in the original yeah it's not like a fairy tales but edgy gangsters yeah, in exactly. new york in the 20s <laughs> which is um yeah i feel like so many like reinventions of fairy tales are so boring <laughs> and so bad and uh this series just like takes it in a really gentle and interesting direction yeah um, yeah i think it's the difference between someone rewriting fairy tales who doesn't like fairy tales and someone rewriting fairy tales who does. Yeah. Like, this is someone mm-hmm. who does like fairy tales and wants to do their version of them. Yeah. No, this is this is done, like, lovingly. This is someone who's, like, enjoys these fairy tales and, like, wants to tell their own twist on it, but coming out of a place of, like, really caring about the original source material and wanting to bring something new to the table mm. and not just, like... It's Alice in Wonderland, but it's dark and edgy now. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like yes ending the fairy tales. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I I I enjoyed I enjoyed this a lot. Um I I also will confess that so they established that these hammerlings have come because they want to get clothes for a human woman that's now living with them. And I don't know if they actually say that there's seven of them living in the house, but this whole plot, it goes on and on, and they have this woman living in the house with these dwarves, and not until the epilogue did I finally go like, oh, Snow White! Like, <laughs> yeah. that totally went past me. I love that. I love that payoff. <laughs> because it felt so natural. Like, like, once you get to that point, you do realize, oh, they did tell us all this information, and I just didn't realize. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I like that. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I thought I was just <laughs> no, dense. no. That's just good writing. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad you were surprised too, because I, I actually was like, oh, I must be dumb. I must not be paying attention because now that I see it, it's so obvious. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like it's almost. Uh, I'm almost at a level. If you are someone who is a big fan of fairy tales, you maybe can pick up on a lot of these references, or if you understand a lot more about medieval history. But I feel like I'm in a category of person who maybe needs. things a little bit more spelled out (laughs) and again like that would be doing a disservice to the key demographic but it's like i'm not getting the meta layer Mm, on this on this work Mm. so it's like i think i i missed that jack the giant killer reference as well and Mm. it's like i missed i didn't know that fable with the iron heart and it's like i uh simple simon (laughs) straight over my head so it's like maybe it's like for for there, there exists an alternate universe where this had it a little bit more clear on the page and that might have hit with me a little better. Mm. So what you're saying is I should not recommend to you Age of Bronze, which entirely <laughs> depends on getting all the references to Greek mythology. That sounds dreadful. <laughs> that sounds absolutely miserable. <laughs> Coming up on the next Trade Raiders. No, no, this is, why, this is exactly why I picked this as a book I will never recommend for Trade Raiders. This is exactly what would happen. Yeah, so it's like, Jeff, definitely don't uh, feel bad because I didn't get that until the epilogue either. All right. Good. Yeah. Good, Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> and it's like, I never figured out who uh, Rackham is supposed to be like we got we get i feel like rackham is one of the more interesting characters in this book and like 
a mysterious kind of way, we get almost nothing. And it does it tie to anything? Is it? I don't know. <laughs> I looked uh, it up. I couldn't find anything. Hmm. That's that's one thing I like about this though is that the the line between what's an established fairy tale and what isn't is invisible. Like I didn't know that um, Iron Henry was actually a fairy tale either. It, it felt very fairy tale ish. Yeah, I, but I mean, so does everything else. In I the can't book. remember the exact fairy tale, but I think the gist is something of like a, somebody gets their heart broken and they have to have the three iron bands wrapped around their heart. Mm. Um, mm. And yeah, so one of the things I enjoyed about Volume Two is like we saw more of the supporting cast of characters and learn more about them but we also learn more about the castle itself as a character almost because in the mm. first volume there's this ghost who's alluded to and you kind of see a little bit of the ghost stuff going on in volume one and i feel like that comes out a little bit more in volume two and i'm very intrigued by this castle ghost who i think um was it as a patience or prudence who was um, sleeping in the hallway and the ghost comes and like texts her in Mm -hmm. um and then there's also like in the secret passage there are death traps mm -hmm. and i think that says a lot about like the castle as a character like there's this they're walking up and there's a bathroom and then they get to another door and they're like oh it's another bathroom guess i'll use it and open the door and it is a death trap to the outside it's just a door that goes out Mm. And uh, the Hammerling is in a very dire situation because he's clutching onto this door like out a billion feet up and has to be brought back in. And then they get to this room that is like, it's rigged so that the ceiling will fall in. Yeah, and I would say those are scenes where I really felt like the stakes were where I wanted them to be. And those were those are excellent, <laughs> excellent moments in the story. Another scene I... I really liked and sort of like has stayed with me and I'm not really sure why is and it's it's like so short it's just like two pages is this scene um where like you know throughout the book you see that Simon really has an affinity for children like with children like he takes really good care of Pindar and Pindar likes to hang out with him and there's a scene where he's washing clothes uh with his mom and he asks her why he can't have a baby and she starts to explain oh well you know like two people together make a baby and he's like yeah but why can't i as like biologically male why can't i have a baby and she's like that's just the way it is um it's just how the world works and he's like it's not fair and she's like yeah i know it's not hmm. and it's just like this really beautiful tender moment and i don't know if i can properly verbalize why that stuck with me but um i just thought it was this like moment of tender like gentleness Mm -hmm. that I feel like I don't often see from male characters, especially in that, like, specific, like, wanting to be a parent or, like, mm -hmm. a caregiver or a mother um, or, like, find that, like, motherhood role. Um, I, yeah. yeah. I think that speaks to the writing, too, though, because, I, I mean, I think, again, in the hands of a lesser writer, you might do a scene like that and just have the other character like, well, boys don't have babies, stupid, where, like, it's she actually responds in this really, like, I hear what you're saying, and, like, I know this is disappointing, but, you know, like, it's, it's just taking him very seriously and being very empathetic mm -hmm. and not making light of it, and, yeah, I don't know, it was handled really well. Like, yeah, that was definitely a good moment. I also really liked, we find out some more about the the house imps or whatever they are, the house spirits. And like they're, as characters, they didn't interest me at all until we find out where they come from. Uh, where we find out that these are actually the house spirits from the entire village when there was a village. And like as the village like got consumed by forest and as people moved away, all the house spirits sort of took refuge in the castle. And now they all live there. And it's like, oh, like that that's a whole other level of like this castle is a refuge from the outside world. That's not in my edition of volume oh, two. Oh, that's oh, new, new news to me. That's really interesting. No, like it was a lot. really good story moment. I like that. Like that that felt like a good payoff for all the stuff with the the house imps before that. Mm. And I uh, I really want to read volume three because I am hoping there will be more payoffs like that. I think that was um that was another moment where I really again I kind of bought into the the danger or the stakes again because mm. it's sort of like you know Jane's trying to go to bed and then the house imps like have a temper tantrum and start destroying the books and 
like yes she's not physically in danger but she cares about those books and so like again it's like oh wow like yeah i gotta save those books like i, I get that you know i can get behind that like oh man you can't destroy those books <laughs> yeah. yeah it was a I, I yeah i really feel like this um the storytelling i think really uh got got tighter with this one i feel like the pacing was up it didn't spend too long in any one place and um I don't know. I just did a good job of really building, building to things. Like even like the little, little subplots, like where they're, they're playing skittles and um, Chess is having trouble uh, hitting the, the pins, and he's frustrated because he's this mighty warrior and he can't knock over pins with a ball. And then Simon's like, "Well, you got to see the monster behind the pins." And he's like, "What?" Like, yeah, there's a monster hiding behind the pins. You got to hit it. That's what my dad told me. And, like, that's what it takes for Chess to be like, aha, I'm going to hit this monster. And suddenly he's hitting strikes, you know? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the reason why the storytelling is tighter in this volume is it's the second volume. Yeah, uh, yeah. There are, like, so many years that this work spans. Mm-hmm. Um, Hundreds which, extra pages of experience. Yeah. You know, yeah. comics, we read it so fast and it takes so long to yes. make. So, of yeah. course, the second volume is tighter. Yeah. For sure. Um, which I do really need to borrow your copy, John, okay. because I am missing a lot here, actually. <laughs> um, I have a, a sort of a question slash theory. Uh, I feel like the, the second volume seems to me to be maybe more manga-influenced in the panel structure, page, mm. page structure. Mm. Like, that, that's what I felt reading it, where, it, like, knowing the, the time period that the first volume was written in, where, like, the 90s... Like, manga was hard to get in North America. Like, good luck finding any, um, except for, like, maybe Akira. But, like, this, uh, like, and maybe I'm just, like, reading too much into this because this has been my experience of, like, reading lots and lots of superheroes and then reading more and more manga and feeling, like, the way that I structure stories and pages is different now. Like, it, it seemed that there was kind of a parallel. And I don't know if anyone else felt that or noticed that. yeah. It could be. Like, I feel like there were a lot more open panels. Does that make sense? I feel mm-hmm. like Volume 1 had a lot of smaller, tighter dialogue panels. Yeah. And Volume 2 started to get a little bit more atmospheric, more dynamic. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I would attribute that directly to manga influence, but it could be. There was definitely an evolution in, in terms of mm, storytelling maturity, which, again, like as Kathleen pointed out, could speak to just experience mm-hmm. but it could be like styles have changed mm-hmm. over the course of uh when this work was produced mm-hmm. no i i personally feel like the art and the pacing that all felt very consistent to me hmm. it really just to me i think it came down to the writing like i feel like um it it didn't stay in any one place too long in volume two like it it set up a whole bunch of things going on with a whole bunch of characters, and then it just kind of bounced around all of those things, where I feel like maybe the prob- problem, quote-unquote, with volume one is just that maybe it just focused on one person and going into one thing for a very long period of time, where I feel like here, it's like you'd spend a few pages with the, the hammerlings, then you'd pop back out to like what Rackham's doing, and then you'd jump over to Jane, and then you'd have like... Uh, what Simon's doing, and then you have a Jane flashback, and and I will say all the Jane flashbacks, by the way, were really good. I enjoyed all of the the parts of her growing up with her father, and and sort of setting up some of her backstory. I think the the flashbacks with Jane were really excellent. Yeah, it felt much more like a community mm-hmm. in Volume Two, whereas in Volume One it was uh, Jane and Peace, mm-hmm. more or less. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, like, I think all the other characters really started to come to life in this volume. Like, everyone felt a lot more rounded out in this second volume. Like, everyone had a little bit of something to say. Everyone had a little something to contribute. And just, like, fun dynamics. Like, I don't know, I also just enjoyed, uh, like, that Chess uh, didn't get his horseshoe reshod, and so then he's got a split hoof, and he's got to, like, walk around on crutches, and... Yeah, and, and I appreciate the fact you have an anthropomorphic horse character who has to go to the blacksmith and has like very strong opinions about this new shoe that's going to be shod on his hoof. Like, you know, it was, it was fun. I enjoyed that. <laughs> um, taking off what you mentioned about Jane's backstory, we do get a lot more sort of information about 
Well, I don't know. Maybe not. In, maybe information isn't the word because we're still there's still a lot of unanswered questions. But I think we're given more pieces of the puzzle to figure out like what is her backstory. Oh, and what is Pindar? Yeah. So okay, like this is another thing where I want to ask. Like I felt for a really long time that Pindar was supposed to be a really obvious reference that I just didn't have the backstory information okay. for. So it's like, is there is there another legend that this is supposed to connect to? Or uh, You know, I don't know. I didn't think to Google, um, uh, what do they call him, like Aleski or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Leski or something. Um, yeah. It could be, like, I felt like it was maybe, maybe it's a thing and they're giving it a different name and then that's why I don't know what they're talking about. Hmm. Uh, either way, it's, I want to know the answer to this mystery. Yeah, and this is, again, like, the frustration of getting through two very, very long volumes. Of, uh, and, like, I, this core narrative, I have, like, still zero information at the end of it. And, uh, yeah, it's like, it's like if that's not going to be where you're going to spend your time, like, maybe don't make it feel like the focus of the work. Mm. It's, it's just a bit frustrating as a reader. Hmm. For at least me as a reader. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't she say, um, I have a husband, but the father of my child is mm-hmm. a different person? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah that so much was clear. So there's something pretty big going on there. This could be completely wrong and contradicted by other things that are said in the story, but I was almost wondering if it was a um, Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing, ah. where the father is the man I love but the husband is the evil beast or the like, the human oh. who's evil and the beast is the good side? I don't mm. know. I was trying to figure it out because it's... Whoa, what if she's Beauty and the Beast? <laughs> As one? <laughs> yeah, because I was wondering if there was a bit of a Jekyll Hyde, Beauty and the Beast narrative. Because huh. I think she says he takes after the father, but he doesn't have his father's horns. So I guess the father's the good guy, so the beast is the good guy, and then the husband is the bad guy yeah right like we're, we're given mm. pieces of her backstory but like the backstory kind of creeps towards the present with, with like there's still this big gaping hole like we don't mm-hmm, know right. how all this fits together like, yet yeah we've met tylo and we're seeing jane and tylo grow up together but uh-huh. we don't we don't know yet who tylo is mm-hmm. like we can assume that he's her husband because they are set to be married mm-hmm. um but that might be but, an assumption that we're that is going to have a twist to it. Yeah, but we don't know that for sure because mm-hmm. we drop off before that happens. Um, I I think if we include a link to Linda Medley's Patreon, uh, I would encourage all our listeners to <laughs> donate heavily to that Patreon so, so we she can, can find get out. Volume Three done, so we can find out these answers. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I want Volume Three to happen so badly. Uh, <laughs> Because, yeah, I, it's been... This series has existed for, like, 20 years, over 20 years, and we don't have a resolution yet, and I want yeah. that resolution selfishly as a reader. Yeah. Like, I'm going to I'm gonna gripe here about how many fantastic, amazing, wonderful indie comics exist in the world that, have, that are really long and really incredibly well done, and they don't have an ending yet because the economy for comics is terrible. Uh, like there's Castle Waiting, there's like Age of Bronze is like in limbo. Uh, oh, Berlin, I don't know what's happening with Berlin. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, Volume three is in, it, almost out. And how many years have we have been we've been waiting I for it? I don't want to talk about how many years, but <laughs> Berlin Volume three is coming soon, and I know that because I want us to do a three-part trade waiters on all three volumes at some point. Yeah, but Shadow Eyes is another example. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know no one here has read this comic, but Thieves and Kings, which is a Canadian indie gem, has been on hiatus since I was in, like, grade seven. (laughs) I just want it to conclude, but the artist has not done anything with it since. Yeah, yeah, I'm, like, low-key mad constantly that these fantastic books aren't done. Right. Yeah, and I can't blame the artist. Yeah, it's like, not they the fault of the it. artist. No. Yeah. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to revise my earlier statement. If you're listening to our podcast, just throw a whole bunch of money at <laughs> every single comic artist Patreon you can afford. <laughs> uh, just make the world a better place. Throw a lot of money on Patreon. <laughs> Support your local comic book artists. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Okay. 
my fear with lunar maladies is that I will get to the point where I can't finish it. <laughs> You're pretty far along, though. Yeah. <laughs> okay, hey, guys, like you listening? You gotta start back in this project. Pages into 500 pages. You're not allowed to not finish this. Okay. I'm gonna tell you that right now. Okay, Dad. <laughs> I'm gonna put my foot down. <laughs> and I'm gonna expect... Uh, uh, you'd return the favor if anything happens to Phobos and Demos. Alright, sounds good. <laughs> Our cartoon is Death Pack. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, we um, don't have a huge amount of time left. Is there any other things that we should talk about? Oh, I would actually love to briefly touch on the physical copy of the book. Like, the... We've talked a little bit about the digital edition, but I'd love to talk about the hardcover... Um, editions that John and I have. It's a beautiful book. Uh, I can see why, like, 13-year-old me picked this up in the comic, or the bookstore, because it's got sort of, like, classic book lover things. Like, it's got a <laughs> ribbon bookmark. You know, it's got cream-colored pages. Not white. It, it's, like, off, off-white mm. cream. Especially volume two is a lot more yellow than volume one, and, like, the pages have that rough finish on the edge. Yeah. It's not like they're a... they're untrimmed. Yeah, there's something about that like ribbon bookmark that always like brings <laughs> me back. Um, it is a very oh, pretty edition. I was yeah. going to say like the the digital edition is losing out on the yes. the tactile experience of this book. Oh yeah. yeah, no holding holding. I just held that book for just a couple minutes there, and the that's that's why you buy a book and you don't download it to your iPad is a book like that yeah not all books are like this no yeah. <laughs> if, I, if I had known yeah. that this was the book I would probably have opted for the physical copy but I did read the digital edition and actually I will say um, and I, we went through this uh, previously with this one summer uh, I just want to call out uh, comic book digitizers like what's up guys like do not pay attention to what is happening on the print edition like if you have a book with blue ink on cream colored paper like this one summer set it up as blue on cream in your digital files like that's possible yeah, there's no like, reason it had to be this, stark this, white this yeah. comicsology could have been on cream colored background like mm -hmm. wh why not why it not just cost the same. add a little bit of color there why, why is it stark black and white that would be easier to read because you're not staring at white light beaming out of the iPad. It would like have night mode on automatically. Like, why? Why not? Yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah, the digital edition was fine, serviceable. Yeah, <laughs> I would say clean, I, good resolution. I mean, but it's not. It, yeah. it can hold a candle to the print edition I, in this I, case. I don't I've think. I've been m primarily reading my Trade Waiters books on Comicsology as of late, and I will say that serviceable is my description <laughs> of reading my comics on comicsology. I did indeed read that story, um, <laughs> but there is something that you just don't get like when you get to hold that book in your hand. Yeah. Yeah, when so, you, yeah, get that like element of book design that serves sort of like the themes and the feel of the story mm -hmm. itself. Like mm -hmm. that's great. And I love that. Yeah. I am a, a book lover. But I also live in a tiny apartment, and mm -hmm. I am going to have to go through another book call. Mm. So it's like it hurts to have to get rid of books, and so I am very selective about what I bring in. Mm -hmm. But if you this... enjoy this work, uh, I would say this is one that would be worth considering investment in for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very impressed. Good job, Fantagraphics. Who, who's... Yeah, Fantagraphics. Good yeah. job. Fantagraphics is a really. <laughs> yeah. solid in the print department mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. sure yeah they've been around a long time they know what they're doing uh oh i have an idea let's let's talk about uh hopes for future castle waiting what do you hope to see what do you fear to see what do mm. you expect to see any of the above um well i mean i do still believe castle waiting will be a fairy tale ending for a fairy tale that would make sense so i believe that the doctor's going to get help in some way. He will, he'll get well. Um, maybe even take his mask off. Uh, I think Henry will, his heart will heal. He will lose the bands and, and he'll be able to love again. We will have a reckoning with Jane's husband of, in some sort and, and he will be vanquished and Jane will get to live happily ever after. Possibly 
we will see uh, a village sprout up around the castle again. Maybe there will be like a kind of a resurgence. A true heroine's journey. Yeah, a true heroine's journey. I like that. There we go. <laughs> and I, I, that's I can't top that. There we go. True heroine's journey. <laughs> um, I uh, hope that the the thing with the bearded nuns comes back around. Like maybe Queenie will show up. I would agree. I would love to see. That would make that whole episode worthwhile if there's that payoff. Like, oh, here's a character we've read pages and pages about and now they're part of the story. Like, I would sign off on that. I hope we can find out what's up with Pindar because that seems important. And I kind of expect that there will be uh, a monarch of some sort in this castle just because that's the way these kind of stories seem to go. But I kind of hope that uh, not all problems will be solved because not all problems are ever solved, even in a fairy tale. I, I think that there would be a monarch plot, but it will somehow resolve where the monarch's like, but people should just be able to govern themselves. All right. Like, yeah. <laughs> I would like to know more about Rackham. Me too. That's what I was going to say. I feel like it's a, 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 still a big mysterious box in this world and not a lot is known and perhaps Simon's mother as well mm. I think we got a little bit of introduction with the story with the giant which I really really liked and I feel like she's underdeveloped as a character uh, compared to some of the others in the castle but I feel like what we do get like the glimpses of her that we get I really really like so that would be in my hopes for future future castle readings I, I echo everyone else's hopes I'm I'd like to know a bit more about chess, because um, I don't, I don't know how he ties into fairy tales yet at this point. Um, I don't know if anyone else has theories on that. Maybe he's one of all the king's horses. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Oh. Um, I was also really intrigued by the time that Henry and Peace's histories overlap um, mm. in the war, yeah. and would love to know more about that. I disagree with Jeff. And when he said, but like, what else is new? Let's go. Let's just get episode. Uh, no, um, I, I disagree with Jeff when he said that uh, he thinks that the doctor will be cured, quote unquote. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I will be a little bit disappointed if it does. But uh, I, I hope my hope for its resolution is that certain things are left unresolved, mm. but still satisfying. Okay. For what it's worth, I hope I'm wrong too about the doctor. <laughs> Okay, I'm Jonathan. You can find my work at phobos-comic.com. I'm going to shout out the Dirk Gently TV show because I like it. I watched it twice in a row, and that's it. I liked it as much as the books, and I love those books. They really should have let it have a third season. Yeah. Um, All right, well, I'm Jeff Ellis. You can find my work at jeffreyellis.ca. And uh, just for a change, I'm going to shout out a video game, because I've made a little bit of time to, to play some video games. I uh, really enjoyed this game I played called Firewatch. Oh, and, I watched um, that recently. It really snuck up on me. Uh, I did not realize how emotionally invested I was going to get in wandering around trying to watch for forest fires. Uh, and and the twist, the sort of not even the the, the non twist at the end was like pretty amazing. If you get a chance, play Firewatch or watch a playthrough. It's like a two hour, three hour investment too. So it's kind of like a long movie. Yeah, I'm Kay, and you can find my work. Go read my ongoing web comic, Lunar Maladies at lunarmaladies.com. Um. Getting, getting up close to 100 free pages online. Um, my Patreons are like gonna be into the 260s at the beginning of March, so. And I'm gonna shout out a TV show as well. I've been watching One Day at a Time, which is the queer sitcom I didn't know I needed, because I don't really like sitcoms that much, and I friggin' hate laugh tracks. But the show has a laugh track, and you tune it out after a while, but it's just this really um, lovely story about a Latin American family just dealing with issues and like a que- good queer content. I cry at like every episode. <laughs> awesome. I'll have to check that one out. My name is Jam. You can find an archive of my work at jamminess.com. And I will also shout out a video game. 
So I don't play video games, but I watch Let's Plays. Uh, and I watched a Let's Play of Night in the Woods recently, which mm-hmm. is uh, an indie title. And it was really, it's kind of depressing. So if you're already depressed, maybe don't watch it because you might get more depressed. But I thought it had a really authentic voice for rural America, especially in the sense of like rural America as it continues to struggle economic hardship. But I watched uh, Materwellen's Let's Play, which is like watermelon, but misspelled, Materwellen. Uh, And she did an excellent job and she's local. And she Mm. also has a Let's Play of Firewatch. So if that's your preferred way of absorbing content, or if you draw a lot of comics and can't use your thumbs, (laughs) (laughs) Materwellen has uh, Let's Plays of Night in the Woods and Firewatch. That's so awesome because I use a Cintiq all day, and so you basically can't play video games because it's yeah. too dangerous. Um, <laughs> so knowing good like Let's Play channels is really fun because I want to play games, but I can't, so I'll just watch someone else play a game. My name's Jess, and you can read my comic um, at liquidshell.tumblr.com. And I'm going to shout out another 50s movie, Roman Holiday, which is really famous, but I think it's it's from the 50s, so I think... A lot of people haven't seen it at this point, even though it, at the time it was so famous. Um, it's got Audrey Hepburn in it, and it's even cuter than it came from outer space. Everyone just has really good intentions, and it's a beautiful story. Uh, it's got wonderful storytelling. It's just a really fun movie. Okay, what's our next book going to be? Uh, our next book is going to be Louis Riel uh, by Chester Brown, published by Drawn and Quarterly. Um, The Trade Raiders was presented by Cloudscape Comics. Thanks to the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in the Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at tradewaiters.tumblr.com, as well as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening! (laughs) 